Hi, I'm Matt Taibbi from America This Week. And I'm Walter Kern. How's it going, Walter? I'm sitting in Las Vegas, soaking up the rays. It's only 50 degrees, but the sun's out. Um, in a week or so, I'm going to the opening of a gigantic new casino hotel, which will be attended by the oligarchs of the and you know pretty people of the world. Everything's great, man. I'm just swimming in the slipstream of gorgeous American Weimar style. Oh, that's luxury. fantastic. Right, can I live vicariously through you? Yes, you may. I also went to a, uh, uh, I was rinkside at a Golden Knights Las Vegas Ooh. hockey game. And, uh, you know, the Golden Knights are Stanley Cup uh, winners and they are an incredible hockey team. I had been to a pro hockey game for decades. Um, and uh, I think it might be my favorite uh, in-person sport, uh, pro sport. Oh, hockey's amazing in person. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's the freaking, you know, we had great rinkside seats. It was through a kind of, a, you know, PR boondoggle. And um, so, so we had, uh, you know, Shake Shack burgers and a little bunker behind our seats. And, uh, you know, we were living like kings. Uh, this is what I come to Vegas for. And uh, it, you know, the puck hits the plexiglass in front of you and your, your heart stops. It was a great game. So uh, I'm just having a great time, man, uh, riding it out. The, you know, the late empire uh, thrills and chills. Well, that sounds awesome, Walter. I, I, I'm totally jealous. I love hockey. I, you know what? I used to go to, when I lived in Moscow, I used to go to the Red Army hockey games all the time. And they had, um, the American rinks are actually smaller. So there, there's more violence. But the the stadium in Russia is uh, has fewer seats, so you're like right on top of the action, and yeah, hockey up close is is amazing, right? And and the 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 athletes are kind of incredible. I mean, the NBA is great too, but the problem is it's so expensive. You're always far away. It seems like and yeah. right. So well, for me the for me the the highlight of the game was the fact that my younger wife, Amanda, she's 13 years younger than me, didn't know who Herb Brooks was. And she didn't know about the miracle on ice in the 1980 Olympics. And wow. I got to yeah, I got to explain that the greatest athletic moment of the 20th century, perhaps, uh, you know, what was the triumph of an amateur hockey team coached by a fellow Minnesotan over the Russian team. And, With plaid uh, pants. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was a mansplaining triumph for me this game. Um, <laughs> That's excellent. You know that movie is good too. By the way, they did some really interesting things with the filming of that movie. They got real hockey players to play the roles. I mean, it was it, uh, it was well done. I like that. Yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. It was um, a, sort of inspirational for me. And you know, Herb Brooks died in a car crash just a few miles from where I grew up in Minnesota. And the idea that this, the idea that this kind of humble guy, I mean, he was a hard, hard head, but humble, uh, was able to take that team so far uh, and then, you know, went back to obscurity really and had an unfortunate end. It is, I don't know, it's sort of the best of amateur athletics in a way. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was amazing. I, I remember watching that uh, that vividly. It really was. It's cool. It's one of the few things that actually lived up to the hype, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Made so, Al Michaels famous. Yes, Al Michaels. Yeah, that was, look, he's really good at what he does generally, but that was a great call. Yeah, yeah. Really, it was. And, he, and, he, and he nailed the timing of it, everything. So, uh, got to give him the credit where, his, where credit is due. So... So I, so I'm in Washington right now. Um, I'm at a hotel right outside Union Station, and um, I just testified in Congress, but it almost feels like I didn't. Because why is that? Why is that? Because it was like it was like a Twilight Zone episode where. Uh, there were really only the, 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 the Democrats had a hearing about Donald Trump and the, and the threat that he posed uh, in, in every conceivable direction. And the Republican members asked us uh, some questions that basically got ignored. So um, it was very weird. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie to you. It, it was surreal being in the middle of it. There were some humorous moments, including uh, a very strange exchange with uh, Dan Goldman of New York, um, who is beginning to become one of my favorite villains in politics. Uh, but I don't know, what, Walter, what did you think? I just got out of it. So you tell me, what, what, I, I'm, I'm, ter- I'm a little bit afraid of what it looked like on television. Well, I mean, uh, they all look the same. <laughs> Congressional hearings, they they have that wonderful C-SPAN neutrality. Um, but uh, I got up early because I'm out here on Pacific time to watch. Oh, it was my I'm sorry. First, yeah, it was my first experience of the day. And uh, I agree with you. It was two separate hearings. Uh, the Republicans wanted to talk about censorship, disinformation, and the dawning Orwellian uh, info police state. And the Democrats wanted to talk about Donald Trump. And they had a witness there whose uh, qualifications to be there were unclear to me because I started just a little late. Um, Maybe you can introduce who she was. Yeah, her name is Olivia Troy. Um, She was, if I'm not mistaken, she served, she was the Homeland Security and Counterterrorism Advisor to Pence. Mm-hmm. So she was in the, the Trump White House. She's a critic of Donald Trump and was basically there to say that Donald Trump sucks. And right. um, and she, she did that well, although there were some very strange moments. At one point, there was a little colloquy with one of the Republican members where um, who, who accused her of. Uh, basically was saying, you called this a conspiracy theory, and I want to know if you're aware that there's been a court case, the Missouri v. Biden court case, that's ruled that this, in fact, is not a conspiracy theory, that it's going to the Supreme Court. And she said, I never said that. And as she was saying that, Michael and I were looking uh, at the text. We were reading from her prepared statement She's like, I never said it was a conspiracy theory. And, and the line that she actually said was, 
Instead of continuing to spread conspiracy theories about government censorship, this committee should instead focus on the very real and dangerous threat posed by the leading Republican candidate. It was, it was an interesting hearing. Uh, I, I'm actually surprised. The, the Republican members, and we talked to a bunch of them afterwards, uh, they're pretty gung-ho for this issue. And, and not, not politically, they're gung-ho to investigate it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I'm not used to that. Um, there was a, I mean, I, I, I guess there were a few people I've encountered on the fi- financial services side who were, who were a little bit like that, but, uh, they, they're really into this topic. Um, and not just as a partisan thing, I don't think. So that was, that was, uh, really interesting. Unfortunately, I, I, I think the, you know, we, we were kind of hoping that the the new releases that came out this week would be able to kind of kick the can forward a little bit and it wasn't it wasn't exactly like that but what what did you see walter that that, that jumped out at you well first of all uh you talk about the new releases um and and you know just to summarize you and michael and alex gutentag michael schellenberger and have have gotten into a whole new uh, stash of communications over uh, online censorship, which, you know, those who read your Substack know probably exceeds in significance and certainly in sort of detail and candor anything that we had from the Twitter files and, and, and shows that a kind of very chummy group of uh, very partisan. Uh, Democrats were uh, throughout the election and before then uh, pulling every switch they could to not only censor people but bug them, troll them, do right. all kinds, infiltrate them, infiltrate them. Um, in other words, it, 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 the, I think the latest uh, disclosures from this whistleblower have shown us that it's not just a censorship problem. It's a problem of state actors now interfering in the information stream in all sorts of outright malicious ways. Um, and they're not just trying to silence people. They're trying to hurt them. They're trying to mock them. They're trying to uh, overwhelm them in certain ways. Uh, and they're using all kinds of techniques, which they are quite aware of. Uh, were developed in order to interfere with foreign countries' political processes. And they speak quite uh, openly about the fact that they probably shouldn't be doing this here, <laughs> but they're, but they're going to do it anyway. Um, and it's an amazing insight. It, it is a definitely a fly-on-the-wall moment for the uh, censorship industrial complex, which looks a little less like a forbidding complex than a bunch of friends, uh, colleagues, mm, compatriots in various political orthodoxies having their way using all these military style tools against the American people. Not even military style, military tools. Right. right? I mean, the, the, well, we'll, we'll get into that. I mean, the, the, 
the files that we did, you know, there it's it's called the CTI League or Cyber Threat Intelligence League. Right. First of all, how many acronyms are we going to have to learn for this goddamn story? Well, right. So acronymic camouflage is a phrase that I want to trademark today. <laughs> um, the, the the use of acronyms is 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 I think devised and uh, calculated to uh, fog over and obscure any subject because first of all they all start with C for some reason in this it, it, when it has to do with this issue and uh, you know CISA now CITL, etc. Right, CIS, SIP, right. and because yeah. you can't keep, because you can't keep them straight and because they're all sort of so sanitized and confusing, you don't even want to read about the thing. Um, uh, you know, I, I, when I was young, I had trouble with Russian novels because of the long names. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have kind of similar um, cognitive problem with stories that have to do with censorship now because I have to go through this acronymic camouflage they've devised. Um, but the reality of the situation as as revealed in these latest uh packets uh is i think one that people could really relate to if they read it in a novel because you can actually sort of see the people in their rooms sitting at their computers laughing you can hear them laughing you know uh and uh they make fun of the people that they are censoring um they uh, they entertain moral they entertain moral qualms and then laugh them off in the most supercilious ways um, and uh, it sort of scares you because our old style picture of a of a police state uh, of a surveillance state was one of kind of gray uh, apparatchiks sitting in rooms with headphones on. And these people are like probably looking at their TikTok with one hand while they censor you with the other. Uh, I, I mean, they are, they are not, they don't, they don't seem formidable in the ways that we're used to bureaucrats seeming. I think these people are, um, you know, stupid. I mean, I, I, th- I th- the, 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 they have C minus brains at best. Uh, there's a couple of them who maybe seem like they, you know, are at least competent. Like Pablo Brewer, who is the sort of key, one of the key figures. He was a Navy guy. He worked at Special Operations Command. Uh, he doesn't come across as an idiot in these, uh, you know, in these documents or in the in, in these video trainings. But some of these people are, it's like mind blowing. I mean, there, there's this character, Deb Lavoie, uh, who just openly says things like, um, basically, we're using many of the same techniques as the bad guys. And, um, you know, if you're on this team, uh, it means you're a good guy. Uh, you know, um well I, I the mean, part i the part i love is where they wonder where they should get the authoritative sources uh 
Oh my upon, God! Upon which oh they'll God. launch their 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 censorship activities. And somebody says, "Isn't there a place where you can get like academic papers or something?" Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. there are there are academic paper places, right? <laughs> and there's no self awareness in there. Like, hey, maybe maybe people like us shouldn't be shouldn't be judging phds and you know, you know what i mean i don't know I, I yeah but that's who these people are right like they they're convinced that their expertise in what they do um you know gives them the ability to 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 do this kind of work even though they don't have any issue specific knowledge. I mean, there's one, there's one of the videos where um, that same Deb Lavoie character, who's uh, a former marketing executive, she worked for like, I think a software company. And she was involved with something called uh, the reality team. Uh, and she basically says, I don't know a lot, but I do know about narratives. And, you know, I, uh, I just don't like to see my, idealistic marketing world used for the bad guys or used for ill or something like that but she, it, it, admitting that you don't know a whole lot and then just taking on the endeavor of sense of censoring the entire social media landscape I, I, how does your brain not have a little reaction at that i i don't know you know <laughs> i don't really understand it well, it, it is. It's like going to the zoo, Matt, and looking inside the cage of some other species and, you know, seeing them cavort and tear apart bananas and so on. Um, and uh, they, they live a completely separate existence inside their little power bubble. Uh, if, if they were just, you know, uh, throwing parties for each other or something, it wouldn't bother me, but that they're, uh, you know, <laughs> that they're legislating how we speak and how we interact in the real world is frightening because as I say, uh, it's like uh, censorship 90210, um, uh, some kind of TV show about kids who somehow get a machine by which they can manipulate the American discourse and, and use it. Hey, check it out. I just uh, nuked so-and-so. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> Should we even be doing this? Yeah, let's do it more. I, I, it, it was a terrifying insight. Uh, you know, we're going to discuss Kafka later. And, and like I say, I, I'm used to these sort of sinister, sinister shadowy heavies uh, when we discuss uh, totalitarianism or when you think of Orwell's 1984. But, I was just going to bring this up, but go ahead. Mm -hmm. But these people could be sitting by the pool. I, I mean, they they they. they they probably are. Who knows where they are in real, real space as they pass these messages back and forth. Um, do you remember the scene in the in the trial at the end where he gets picked up and executed, and the people who come to grab him, they're not like, uh, you know, sentries decked out in like these royal costumes. They're third-rate actors with pot bellies, you know. I'd so, forgotten so, that detail. Yeah, yeah. So no, it's hilarious. It's an absolutely hilarious detail because he, here's the end of this horrible ordeal, and 
you know, the final judgment comes and it's, it's death and it's horrible death, right? Like they're going to behead him. Uh, and sort of Kafka portrays it as you know, arriving in the guise of like these three third rate actors who couldn't even disguise who they were. Right. So, you know, as, as Joseph K is being dragged away, he's like, what theater do you work at? You know? Um, but that's kind of like what this is, you know, you, but you, you're trained to think in terms of, oh, the, these people must be a combination of, uh, you know, Jack Reacher and I don't know what, what other CIA characters are there. I mean, there's there's ten gazillion of them. The old man and um, right, and that it's right. all going that it's all going on in some strange Lovian bunker or something. Um, right, uh, it, 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 they're airheads. That's what they are, and we are being censored by airheads, and uh, they don't even really understand on what basis to to do it. They think there's an academic paper store somewhere that they can go to for truth. Um, and uh, as I said before, the insight into their dialogue is very screenplay worthy. But, uh, you know, it would star Alicia Silverstone or something. really Clueless, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Clueless. Censorship edition. Um <laughs> And, and and I think America has to mm, somehow struggle with the fact that a lot of what's going on now is institutionalized stupidity, um, and with very powerful tech tools at its disposal. And that seems to be the story here. They borrowed these military um, information weapons. And they put them in the hands of, you know, people who uh, shouldn't be running a a hair salon. And, <laughs> and, 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 and I think one of the reasons why they're so stupefied that we're concerned about it is because they take it so unseriously when they do it. In right. other words, in other words, to them, it's probably baffling that we see this as an Orwellian a development, when in fact, from their point of view, it's just party on, Garth. I mean, uh, right, uh, right. Uh, what us? You're talking about us? We're just pushing buttons and having a ball. Uh, yeah, this is just what we do, right? Like, yeah. It's campus. Um, it's campus life at Stanford, you know. Um, and uh, so, but but back to the hearings for a second. So, mm -hmm. I think you guys were hoping to bring these uh, revelations into the halls of Congress, and that was what I was expecting as a viewer. Uh, and it, it it didn't happen the way things were set up. First of all, there was. You know, the Democrats holding a separate hearing with their own witness. And she, I've got to say, you know, there's a term cry bully that's gone around. She, she tried to personalize everything. And, you know, uh, she talked about being doxxed and fears oh, that she had for her family. And she talked about a relative being in a mass shooting. And she brought to bear all these kind of melodramatic soap opera elements to her testimony. 
that had nothing to do with the issues at hand. And she seemed at times on the edge of tears, but in a very controlled, actorly way. And then it would switch back to the topic at hand, and you couldn't believe it was happening in the same room, um, th these two tracks. Uh, that, that's, what I, that's what I saw. Yeah, it was, it was very frustrating, right? Because we probably could have done a better job of coordinating it, too, because, um, you know, I, I think uh, we, we were a little bit of different minds about what the meaning of these documents, uh, of these new documents um, who was of different minds? You, you, and uh, and the committee, or you and Michael, or me and Mike, uh, Michael and I, right? I think you know, you know, for him, um, and I think he's not wrong about this, but for him, this is like filling in a, a chronological hole in, uh, in the timeline. Like it, when when we testified in March. Um, his timeline was blank for the year 2019. Like we didn't have anything in there, um, or at least he didn't uh, in, in in his uh, submitted document. So for him, he thinks his idea is that this this uh, group, the CTI League, uh, is basically like the prototype or the uh, the beta version of what later became like the election integrity partnership and the virality project. And that's probably true to some extent, although we can't actually prove that we, we see that the two organizations have, they use some similar language. There are some personnel that's similar. Um, but, you know, I, I thought that the, the, the uniqueness of, of these documents was that, um, you know, it went beyond the defensive, it went beyond even censorship, and it laid out uh, that not only are these people um, interested in taking down things that are maybe true and maybe maybe not even alleged disinformation. I mean, you can see in their in their discussions that they're just aiming for hash hashtags like "we won't we won't stay home." Right. So just someone who doesn't like the 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 lockdowns, uh, that's that's not disinformation. That's just a political opinion. But they, they had a whole threat matrix for that. And uh, and they were going to they were asking if we do, do we have enough to take that person down? If not, can we get all troll in their bums? And that, and that's where the. I, I thought the significance of this of these documents was that. They showed a willingness to uh, get into, you know, offensive operations domestically. And, you know, it, it suggested a whole new, like, realm of mischief that they're probably getting up into. And, you know, it would have been really interesting to explore that and to see what the Democrats' reaction to that was. But we didn't really focus on that. I think a lot of the members on the, on the Republican side just still wanted to talk about some other stuff and make and make some points about like you know how this is used against conservatives and that sort of thing. Well, so my overwhelming impression of the hearing 
both this one and the earlier one, is that the Democrats don't want to admit this is even happening. Uh, they won't admit that it's happening. Uh, and when they're forced to admit that it occurs, they say it's of no significance. And that suggests to me that we're really looking finally at a partisan uh, phenomenon, uh, that that this began and has continued and hopes to go on as a basically partisan exercise. Because why should why should they evince no interest in it at all? Um, people tried in this hearing to say, would you be happy if Donald Trump was using these techniques against his enemies? And no one bid on that. They, they didn't want to acknowledge that it's happening in the first place. Um, and they seem so confident that Donald Trump doesn't have access to the tools that would allow him to do this or something, uh, that, that, that it, it revealed to me that this is basically a partisan political operation that somehow installed itself inside the, the bureaucracy, the academy, and so on, and which can't, which can't be candidly acknowledged because it's mm, truly the tool of one side. Um, that, that, that's, the, that's the impression I get. Um, yeah, I think I, that makes sense. You know, I, um, uh, you know, I, I made the mistake, you know, Michael and I talked about this before. Mike, Michael is, uh, he's very anxious to try to get Democrats in, interested in this topic. And as a result, even though I, I actually think that there's some evidence in, in, um, in the stuff, showing that they it's not really about uh targeting just the right it's just about whoever's not not in power um but but, but you know but, so, but, so I, I i tried to emphasize the, the there's sort of a class difference right like the, the 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 people who do this work you know they're all you know none of them are going to be like poor inner city folks or you know single moms doing waitressing jobs that kind of